Good afternoon. I'd like to call the September 27, 2022 meeting of the Public Utilities Commission to order. Madam Secretary, would you call the roll? President Moran? Here. Vice President Jemmy? Here. Commissioner Maxwell? Here. And uh, Commissioner Paulson is excused from today. Um, sorry. This meeting is being held in person at San Francisco City Hall, room 400, as authorized by the California Government Code Section 54953E and Mayor Breed's 45th supplement to our February 25th, 2020 emergency proclamation. I would like to remind all individuals present and attending the meeting in person today that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times. Hand sanitizer stations are available throughout the building and masks are available upon request. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. For each item, the commission will take two minutes of public comment, first from those attending the meeting in person and then from those attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public may provide remote public comment by dialing 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2486-804-5761, pound, pound, and pressing star three to raise your hand to speak. Please note that you must limit your comments to the topic of the agenda item being discussed unless you are speaking under general public comment. And to remind you, if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you address your remarks to the commission as a whole, not to individual commissioners or staff. On behalf of the commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV and staff and SFPUC IT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you've not already done so, please silent silence your electronic devices. I'd also like to announce that item 14 has been removed from today's agenda and will be rescheduled. Thank you. And before calling the first item, I'd like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Mawekma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendants of the historic federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Mawekma Ohlone tribe's Aboriginal lands since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932. It's vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Muwekma Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFPUC and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. Uh, Madam Secretary, please call the first item. Item number three, adopt renewed findings under state urgency legislation to allow hybrid in-person meetings during the COVID-19 emergency and direct the commission secretary to agendize a similar resolution at a commission meeting within the next 30 days. Okay, would you please open public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number three, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item three? Seeing none, Mr. Murray, do we have any callers with their hands raised to speak to item number three? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you, public comment on item three is closed. Thank you. Commissioners, any comments or questions? Seeing none, can I have a motion and a second? Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? 
Aye. Vice President Jemmy? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. You have three ayes. Thank you. The next item is the approval of the minutes for September 13th, 2022. Uh, commission, any uh, omissions or corrections or comments? Seeing none, uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number four, the minutes, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item four? See none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised for item four? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment and item four is closed. Okay. Any further discussion? Seeing none, a motion and a second, please. I'll move. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jeremy? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. You have three ayes. And the item is adopted. Uh, next item, please. Next item is item five, general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of general public comment on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide general public comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are six users in the queue. Thank you. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes. So, Commissioners, my name is Francisco da Costa. I was at City Hall at the Rules Committee, and there were a number of agenda items that uh, were discussed linked to SFPUC. One of them was about a project, the biosolids, but taken in its totality, I want to know, and we haven't, we haven't uh, pinpointed, we started the sewer system improvement project as a $6 billion project. One of the commissioners stated a number 10 billion. I don't know where she got that from. I think it's 20 billion, not 20 billion. I think it's 12 billion. So we need to know, the public needs to know, since we have been kept out, we were promised uh, six monthly presentation from the digesters and the sewer system improvement projects. And we haven't been given that. So I want to know, I don't want to use the Freedom of Information Act, what, is, what, what number have you reached to date? Is it 12 billion, 13 billion, 14 billion? I know you cannot give me a reply, there's no, that's not uh, allowed, but I would like to know that. Maybe somebody can email me. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, thank you. 
My name is Carol Ruth from Stanford, California. And if the eight and a half year design drag is adopted as proposed, it is time to write a eulogy for the Tuolumne River and the creatures and ecosystems that depend on its cool, deep waters. According to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, Chinook numbers have plummeted since the 1950s when the Tuolumne River saw a robust return of 25,000 salmon each year. Just 20 years later, counts were less than 2,000 fish. In the past 15 years, less than 1,000 Chinook have managed to return upriver most seasons. And last year, scientists counted a mere 186 Chinook in this Tuolumne River. Will these dwindling salmon disappear on your watch, or will you take action to save this population of salmon? If you do not act to increase the river flow, this ecosystem will disappear. Ask yourself, would good stewards stockpile water as required in the eight and a half year design drought to ensure against a one in 70,000 year drought? Are you willing to sacrifice the fish for this overly conservative approach? How many Californians continue, can continue to, to uh, thrive when the ecosystems that sustain us are left unprotected? I urge you to shorten the design drought by a minimum of one year and more, uh, hopefully, two years, and to make it a priority to preserve the Tuolumne River ecosystem for California's generations to come, as well as for the creatures that thrive in its waters. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Hi, my name is Jan Dorman, and I'm the executive director of Friends of the River. I wanted to follow up on the comments we made a couple of weeks ago about the design drought um, and just re-emphasize the importance of maintaining the Tuolumne River um, as a healthy ecosystem. Healthy rivers will be more and more important, more critical to support the kind of resilience that we'll all need, the salmon and the humans, to withstand the extreme weather, drought, and fires that we know are coming over the coming decades. So uh, again, we encourage the commission to revisit the assumptions around the design drought and to factor in the impacts of climate change, um, new predictive sciences that are available to um, incorporate assumptions about climate change, um, the impacts of in-stream flow requirements adopted by the State Water Board through the Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan, um, and impacts of demand sensitivity, because we know um, demand is going to need to change and everybody's going to be using less water. So in summary, um, we would like to encourage the Commission to remain diligent on this topic and do everything that you possibly can to maintain the Tuolumne as a healthy watershed. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Mary Butterwick, a San Francisco resident for over 30 years. Over the past couple of years, I've attended several commission meetings, public workshops regarding in-stream flows on the Tuolumne River. 
I remain deeply concerned about the ecological state of Tuolumne River due mainly to inadequate flow releases. Last year's count of Chinook salmon in the Tuolumne was an alarmingly low 186. This extreme degree of degradation is completely unacceptable and should be a huge wake-up call for the commission. I urge the commission to drop its lawsuit against the State Water Board's Bay Delta plan and work with the state to ensure flows in the Tuolumne are consistent with the in-stream flow standards adopted by the state. These flow measures are needed to provide spring flows high enough to get water onto adjacent floodplains, provide sufficient flows to the migration of fish upstream and downstream, and maintain downstream water temperatures low enough to support a cold water fishery. The non-flow measures in the voluntary agreement in the absence of sufficient flows will not work. The Commission's water management strategy relies on an extremely conservative 8.5-year design drought. Please modify the design drought to be scientifically valid. To date, the Commission has been unresponsive to numerous requests for information from an interested and concerned public. Bay Area residents, such as myself, care deeply about the environment. We look to the Commission to be responsible stewards of the river by increasing flows in the Tuolumne. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Good afternoon. My name is Martin Gothberg, and I would urge the SFPUC Commission to push SFPUC staff to adequately respond to requests for information from the public. It's disappointing that after two years and seven workshops, SFPUC continues to show a lack of transparency and honesty when addressing public concerns about Tuolumne River flow and water storage. We need more leadership from the Commission as you are the ultimate environmental stewards of Tuolumne. Given the decline in salmon, as others have pointed out, didn't count a lot, first um, we need to answer the following questions. First, the fall spawning season will soon be upon us. Uh, and what will the SFPUC, what are they going to do to assure we don't have another disastrous season? Others have pointed out less than 200 salmon counted last October. Second, given the first voluntary agreement was scathingly dismissed by scientific peers, what will change with any new attempt? Yet another inadequate attempt will simply confirm what a lot of us suspect is that the SFPUC may simply be running out the clock on adequate flows needed to restore our salmon-based ecosystem. Yes, the SFPUC can point all they want to money spent on in-stream measures, habitat respiration, but the fact remains that without proper flow, none of that will work. Lastly, SFPUC has a responsibility to address inflated water demand projections that are coupled with an aggressively conservative design drought in a meaningful way. Saying you worry and lose too much sleep when the reservoirs get low just doesn't cut it. Between all of its reservoir storage and excellent water rights in most years, SFPUC is well positioned to leave more water in the river. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director for the Tuolumne River Trust. 
Um, I've been sensing some excitement there at the SFPUC that there's going to be a new Tuolumne River voluntary agreement. Um, we think this is really terrible. It's going to delay real improvements for a long time, and it's destined to fail. Almost two years ago, there was a presentation at Bosca that was based on information provided by the SFPUC that was full of inaccuracies and misleading information. We responded with a 15-page letter, and the response we got back from Bosca was basically, you know, these issues are over our heads. We're going to send it to the SFPUC to respond. Well, they never did, and they don't respond to a lot of things, and we really need a commission that's going to uh, encourage transparency and real dialogue. Uh, we're about to start a new water year. Uh, there's going to be new leadership on the commission, and this is a great time to try to do things a little bit better. At the beginning of this year, I filed a Public Records Act request for rationing information, how it was determined, and I was told, no, that's attorney-client privilege. I took it to the Sunshine Ordinance Task Force. Uh, they thought it was pretty ridiculous, forwarded it to the full committee. I'm waiting to hear that. But this is just a problem that's lasted for years and years, and nothing gets done. So I hope that with the new water year, we can have a new direction. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello, caller, are you there? You have two minutes to come in. Oh, um, okay. Thank you. Uh, I'm a resident. This is Julianne Frizzell. And I want the San Joaquin Tuolumne ecosystem protected. It has been heartbreaking to watch the ecology of the river basin decline in these past years, while the folks who could help stop the decline, and that includes um, the SFPUC, do not act. Um, you have, again, begun negotiations for a volunteer agreement with Modesto. The Turlock Irrigation Districts and the state, um, the state for the Tuolumne River. The first volunteer agreement did not work. The fish are dying, and the ecosystem is collapsing. What has the SFPUC done to prevent another terrible season for the sea, uh, for the salmon this fall? Why should any of us believe in the SFPUC as an honest broker at this point? I attended the August Design Drought Workshop. There was excellent scientific data introduced by the Tuolumne River Trust and other groups at that meeting. Your staff basically repeated the same old tired arguments for the design drought without scientific backing to support those arguments. The SFPUC has not even acknowledged the good work done in the long-term vulnerability assessment, LTVA, that's easier to say, study which cost the taxpayers, and I'm, I'm one of them, $743,000. Again, what are you doing to prevent the collapse of the Tuolumne River ecosystem? Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, one additional caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller. Your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello, this is Mark Gonzalez, and I've attended 
many of the meetings and the discussions about the Tuolumne River. And I think you have to recognize that in the long run, you should focus on including the health of the Tuolumne River with any of your plans. Right now, it seems like your only plan is to fill the reservoirs. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. An additional caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, yes, my name is Wes Kishler. I'm a water user and taxpayer in the Bay Area. I spent 40 years backpacking in the high Sierras in the upper reaches of the watershed of the San Francisco Bay and Delta. The uh, State Water Board has two requirements. These two requirements are interrelated in, an important, in important ways. One requirement is to protect the Bay and Delta, and the other requirement is to supply adequate water to communities. The uh, SFPUC's lawsuit against the State Water Board endangers the health of the Bay and Delta. Endangering the health of the Bay and Delta will also endanger adequate water supply to communities now and in the future. It's best that the uh, SFPUC reconsiders the lawsuit and drop the lawsuit. Uh, thanks. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Item five, general public comment is closed. Uh, thank you. Uh, the next item is communications. Commissioners, do you have any questions or comments about the communication that was provided to you? Seeing none, uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number six, communications, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item number six? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised for item six? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment on item six is closed. Uh, thank you. Commissioner Ajami. I just wanted to say I appreciate that, um, obviously, all the communications, but uh, especially the one on water pipeline assessment. Um, thanks. Uh, that was a very informative uh, document, and I really appreciate it, having a chance to take a look at it. But again, all of them are useful and uh, quite informative. This one I was looking forward to see. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any further comments? Seeing none, next item, please. Before the, I call the next item, I'd like to remind the members in, uh, in the present today in today's meeting to please silence your electronic devices. Next item is item seven, retirement recognitions of SFPUC employees for the distinguished service. Thank you, Madam, <coughs> Madam Secretary. Commissioners, I'm honored to introduce and recognize five outstanding individuals who have recently retired from the SFPUC after having served in this department for more than 25 years. Uh, first is Sarah Blaine, uh, and, and let me just say in recognizing her 26 years of service, she retired in July as an engineer for the Infrastructure Bureau. And the PUC wishes to thank Sarah and show our gratitude for her outstanding service. Whereas Sarah Blaine served as a dedicated engineer for the city and county of San Francisco, working to provide safe and reliable drinking water for the people of San Francisco and the Bay Area, 
And whereas Sarah was passionately involved with the IFPTE Local 21 Union fighting for the rights of workers, and whereas Sarah advocated for women and minorities in the workplace, promoting fairness and equality, and whereas Sarah was universally beloved by her colleagues, and whereas Sarah served as the resident engineer for the construction of the Alameda Creek Watershed Center, which will educate future generations about the natural resources of the Alameda Creek Watershed and the history of the Muwekma tribe in the Sonoma Valley, and whereas on July 1, 2022, Sarah re retired after 26 years of service to the SFPUC and the city and county of San Francisco. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this commission hereby offers its highest commendations to Sarah Blaine on the celebration of her retirement and honors her accomplishments as an engineer for the city and county of San Francisco and the San Francisco Public Utilities uh, Commission. Congratulations, uh, Sarah. I'd like to ask James Sakai of our Infrastructure Bureau to say a few words. Thank you, Commissioners. Good afternoon. Uh, we are here to recognize the career of Sarah Blaine, who's uh, with us in the audience now. Uh, I'm James Sakai. I've had the privilege of being her supervisor for the past six years. Sarah has served the city since 1990 when she was hired as a junior mechanical engineer with San Francisco Public Works. Throughout her career, she has worked on the design or construction of dozens of water and wastewater projects. Her last assignment was serving as the resident engineer of the Alameda Creek Watershed Center. Uh, this is a beautiful, unique interpretive center that will educate the public about the regional water system, the um, natural resources in the watershed, and the history of the Muwekma Ohlone tribe in the region. As one of the first women engineers hired by the city, she fought for equality in the workplace. As an active member of Local 21, she fought for workers' rights throughout her career. During the last few years, Sarah's leadership became very apparent. During the uh, onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, when much of the workforce was staying at home, PUC construction projects continued on. This was an anxious time for her construction management team who continued to show up to work every day. It was Sarah's unwavering voice to management that ensured that her staff was adequately protected. Sarah is truly irreplaceable, not only for her dedication and work ethic, but also for her infectious positivity. Sarah has been known to arrive at work singing choir hymns. It is acts like this that created an uplifting work environment that was immeasurably valuable in the high stress world of construction management. We'll sorely miss Sarah and there's gonna be an irreplaceable void left behind. But we are also very happy for her and she definitely earned her retirement and this time to spend for herself and to focus on her other family now. We would like to say thank you for all that she has done for the city and the PUC for her many years of service and congratulations on her retirement. Thank you. Thank you, James. Uh, and Sarah, I'd love to invite you up to say or sing a few words if you like. <laughs>
thanks. I'm really honored. This is very nice. I really appreciate it. I love having the glorious Robin Sheswell here taking photos. And it was nice to meet you when you came out to see us in Sonol. I, I was grateful it. for it that great. visit. It made a difference to us that you knew we were out there and that we were working our tails off. Um, thanks. And Andy, I don't know if you remember, but 100 million years ago, when I was a part of a discrimination action, we had multiple meetings. And it was, it's nice to see you again. Thanks. Thank you, sir. Second, we have Leonid Weinstein. And I like, I'm actually pretty impressed I did that halfway well. So I'd like to recognize Lenny, who retired in April after working for 26 years in maintenance planning at the wastewater treatment plant. We want to thank him and show our gratitude for his service to the PUC. Whereas Leonid Weinstein exemplifies tireless commitment and dedication to the maintenance planning team at the wastewater treatment plant that strives to improve the lives of San Francisco residents, and whereas Leonid has passionately worked to provide training to new planners and proposes ideas for the improvement of business processes for planning and scheduling procedures for the maintenance planning department. And whereas Lenny has been an active supporter of the sewer system improvement program of San Francisco and helped create effective communications between maintenance planning team and the engineering team to seamlessly transition asset information into the computerized maintenance management system at the wastewater water enterprise. And whereas on April 1, 2022, after more than 26 years of exemplary service, Lenny retired from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's wastewater treatment plant. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this commission hereby offers its highest commendations to Lenny on the celebration of his retirement and honors his accomplishments as a maintenance planner, and be it further resolved that this commission hereby expresses its sincere appreciation and gratitude to Lenny on his contributions to the SFPUC, and be it further resolved that this commission wishes Lenny a long and prosperous retirement. Congratulations, Lenny. Lenny, please, love to have you say a few words. Thank you very much for uh, being recognized. Uh, so those uh, years passed uh, very fast. So I started actually more than uh, 30, two years ago. So uh, that was actually two nights before the big one, before the earthquake. So, and I was on night shift. So there was something to learn about, yeah. And um, back, back then, uh, everybody who actually was uh, running the plant so I started in operations. So everybody who was running the plant at those nights got recognized by uh, Mayor Agnes. So we have a recognition and awards. Uh, it's a memorable, memorable thing. Yeah, so uh, working in uh, operations, then I worked in maintenance, and then planning was actually my last 12 years uh, on the career. So thank you very much. Uh, uh, I'm sorry that my manager wasn't able to make it, uh, so I'd like to see him and my supervisor. But I, I thank everybody and I thank my co-workers. Appreciate, thank you.
Third, I'd like to recognize Colin Riley, who retired in January as a truck driver for the City Distribution Division. And the, the PUC wishes to thank Colin and show our gratitude for his uh, outstanding service. Whereas on April, in April 1988, Colin Riley began his career with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission City Distribution Division as a truck driver, and whereas Colin exemplified dedication and commitment to safety while operating various types of trucks, especially in close proximity to other drivers, pedestrians, and bicyclists, and whereas Colin tirelessly responded to numerous emergencies during inclement weather, heavy traffic, at all hours of the night throughout his career with the SFPUC, and whereas Colin's positive attitude, respect, and trust for others, honesty and dependability also provided a contagious work ethic within his team, and whereas on January 1, 2022, after 33 years of exemplary service to the city and county of San Francisco, Colin retired from the SFPUC. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this commission hereby expresses its sincere appreciation and gratitude to Colin Riley for his contributions to the SFPUC and wishes him a long, happy, healthy, and prosperous retirement. And Colin's not with us today, but Bill Tehan from CDD is here to say a few words. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Bill Tehan. I'm the Division Manager of the City Distribution Division, otherwise known as CDD. On behalf of Colin Riley and his family, I want to thank you for recognizing his many years of service with the City and County of San Francisco. As you're aware, CDD never closes its doors. We are literally that place that is open 24-7, 365. CDD has always counted on employees like Colin to answer the call at 3 a.m. in the morning in the pouring rain, or at 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, on a, sun, on a sunny Sunday afternoon, in the middle of a 49er game to accomplish his mission. Colin was that employee. Unfortunately, Colin cannot be with us today, but had he been here, he would have shared many stories of the crazy things he's seen in 33 years working for the city. Once again, on behalf of, on behalf of Colin, his family, and the CDD family, we thank you for this recognition. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. We also had two other folks that weren't able to join us today who I'd like to recognize. The first is Petronia Pet Torres, who retired in April as a building manager for the Customer Service Bureau. And the PUC wishes to thank Pet and show her gratitude for her outstanding service. Whereas on November 16, 1984, Petronia Torres began her career as an account clerk with the controller's office. In 1988, she joined the SF Water Department Commercial Division, now known as the PUC Customer Service Bureau, as a water services clerk. She ascended the SF PUC's ranks to Senior Water Services Clerk, Commercial Division Assistant Supervisor in 2007, and lastly as a Customer Service Billing and Audit Auditing Manager in 2008. And whereas, as customer service billing manager, PET was responsible for water and wastewater billing, the high consumption unit, flow, factor, flow factors appeals, and the low income assistance program. And whereas during her tenure as manager of billing and auditing, PET was a key contributor to the water and wastewater billing system, which was implemented in 2008. She participated in the 2012 transition from manual meter reading to automated meter reading and made contributions to multiple system upgrades 
and program implementation throughout her years of service. Her thoroughness and attention to detail contributed to the successful implementation and smooth running of daily operations. And whereas, as a manager, Pet was an exceptional leader and a true team player who performed her duties and responsibilities with exceptional efficiency, possessive of a strong work ethic, always displaying a positive attitude and was well-respected by her staff and peers, Pet consistently produced high-quality work with admirable dedication. And whereas on March 30, 2022, Pet retired from the SFPUC after 33 years of exemplary service with 37 total years of service to the city and county of San Francisco, now therefore be it resolved that this commission hereby expresses its sincere appreciation and gratitude to Pet on her contributions to the SFPUC and be it further resolved that this commission wishes Pet Torres a long and prosperous retirement. And finally, uh, we have uh, Virginia Jean Sarmiento. And I'd like to recognize Jean, who retired in July as a customer contact center uh, manager for the Customer Service Bureau. And the PUC wishes to thank Jean and show our gratitude for, outst for her outstanding service. Whereas Virginia Sarmiento began her career with the San Francisco Water Department, Department now known as the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission in the Customer Service Bureau as a water services clerk on October 15, 1990. She ascended the ranks to serve as a super, supervisor of water services clerk in 2000, a commercial division assistant supervisor in 2003, a customer service billing and collections manager in 2008. And whereas as a customer service billing and collections manager, Virginia was responsible for the new service installation billing and collection of water and sewer accounts and customer uh, service operations. She served in the roles of interim manager for new services installations, manager for collections and liens and cashiering, and in her final role as the customer contact central manager. And whereas during her tenure as a manager, Virginia assisted in leading the initial interactive voice response IVR implementation project from, from scripting testing, staff training through the IVR's successful launch. She was a core team member during the conversion of the Customer Service Bureau's billing system from water and sewer system to the current Oracle Customer Care and Billing System, which was successfully implemented in 2009. And whereas in her capacity as a manager, Virginia was an exceptional leader. She performed her duties and responsibilities effectively and efficiently possessing a strong work ethic, maintaining a positive attitude, and was well-liked and respected by her staff and peers, and consistently produced high-quality work with admirable dedication. And whereas on June 30, 2022, Virginia retired from the SFPUC after 31 years of exemplary service. Now, therefore, be it resolved that this commission hereby expresses its sincere appreciation and gratitude to Virginia for her contributions to the SFPUC and be it further resolved that this commission wishes Virginia Sarmiento a long and prosperous retirement. Congratulations. So for, for the folks that are here, we'd love to have you come on up and we're gonna take a picture. Oh, we'll have, uh, Commissioner actually, I, do we, uh, actually, Donna, do we give, we should do, yeah, comments first, I apologize. Pictures last. Commissioner Maxwell. 
go ahead. I'll go after you. Um, you know, I, I want to thank Sarah for not just looking at your, your situation, but trying to make it better for the people that were there and people to come. That's, that's exemplary. That's going beyond. So thank you for that. And, and Lenny, I know I was a worker behind the scenes, and I know so often you all made it work. The tools weren't necessarily there. It hadn't been done before, but you created and thought about what you did. So I want to thank you for all of that. And I want to thank your family, because it's a, it, it takes a village. It takes a family, day in and day out. So I want to thank your family as well, both of you. And then um, Colin, you know, you all took on more responsibility the longer you stayed. Normally, people would say, oh, look, I am sick of this. All I want to do is my job. But no, you all took on more responsibility. Um, Colin, Virginia. Petrolia, all of you took on more responsibility and you made a difference for all of us. It wasn't just about you, but it was for the whole. So again, thank you for your work. Thank you for your, your heart and your compassion and your caring for our city. Thank you. Commissioner Jami. You put it beautifully. I, I'm not sure if I can. Uh, replicate that, but thank you so much for your service. I really do appreciate all the hard work that has been put into um, keeping this um, system running. Uh, people often forget what it takes to uh, run a, a water system or a, a wastewater system or an energy system, but there's so many people behind the scenes, uh, unsung heroes, uh, who basically we don't see or we don't interact with all the time. People don't realize um, but thank you so much for making everything happen. Thank you for all your hard, hard work. I just want to also, uh, also um, um, mention that uh, we are losing, I think, uh, three women, which is uh, a hard thing to come by in a, a utility business. So I'm hoping that uh, as we are trying as a utility to become more uh, to, to include more people from broad backgrounds with um, uh, diverse background, diverse educational background, uh, racial background. I hope we can actually try to, um, I know it's very difficult to replace people, but I really do hope we can uh, bring in people who can be the next version of you and can actually fight for the future and uh, create more space for uh, the next generation to come. Uh, and um, with that, I'm again, again grateful. Thank you so much for all your service. And I think you're absolutely correct. I think families who are behind, no, nobody is alone. Families are, they, everybody compromises so much to make sure their uh, partners or spouses or parents can do their work to the best of their ability. And we do appreciate um, uh, all the families that are sharing their loved ones with us. and. Um, creating a space for them to serve this city in different capacity. Thank you. Yeah, and just adding my voice to my colleagues, that it has struck me how incredibly important the work is that we do uh, every day. And water and sewer and power may not seem like uh, the most glamorous uh, work in the world, but it's incredibly important. Uh, certainly, uh, you get recognition for that when it doesn't work, 
Uh, but the fact is that it matters to the people we serve, it matters to our communities, it matters to our economy, it matters to the environment that we do our job and do it well. And you are the people that make it happen. So I think it's important to recognize the contributions that you've made uh, and the contribution that that is to uh, all the people that we serve. So thank you very much for, the, uh, for this commission as well as uh, uh, all the people that we serve. And let's take a picture. Please, come up, we'll take a photo. Do you want to do public comment after the photos? We can, we'll take it after the picture. How about okay. that? We'll do the picture now, and then we'll do public comment. Donna, you want this one for Colin? Keep that. Oh, you put this here. Okay. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. <laughs> public comment. Okay. Well, thank you. Let's uh, open it up to public comment then. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number seven, the retirement recognitions for staff, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to make comment on item seven? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Brad? Oh. Madam Secretary. One Donna, we have somebody in person. Yes, one moment, Brad. Come on, we have a, uh, a public speaker in room. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Craig Byrne. I'm a San Francisco public health nurse for 30-something years, and I'm come back to under Prop F. But I'm, I have a unique experience because I'm the husband of Sarah Blaine. And I want to just make a quick comment that I thought I had a difficult job until I got to recognize the difficulty of being an engineer during the past couple of years with COVID. And also, um, I witnessed the, with the fires and the um, smoke that is, um, has infiltrated the Bay Area over the past couple of years, that Sarah and her colleagues, uh, um, under the direction of James, they went tirelessly to, to do this job that I couldn't imagine doing. I, I was always concerned every day about what they were doing. And Sarah just would brush off my concerns, like, we got to get this job done. You don't, under, well, I didn't understand. I still don't understand how, what an engineer does. But I am super impressed. And I, I'm grateful that the PUC is recognizing my wife today. Thank you so much. have no more callers in, or uh, speakers in room. Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised for item number seven? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes. So on behalf of all San Franciscans, I would like to thank all of y'all who got a commendation. Uh, I have visited the broad sewage treatment plant over 150 times and have fond memories of uh, Mark Harris and Flores, um, Tommy Maiola, and kudos um, to all of y'all, especially to Sarah. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment. And item seven is closed. And next item, please. Item eight is recognition of Anson Moran for his distinguished service to the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, Commissioners, this is a, a bittersweet moment in that um, we're all happy to celebrate Andy Moran and his wonderful contribution to this agency over nearly 50 years of service, but that it comes at the, uh, at the end of his nearly 13-year tenure 
as a member of, uh, of this commission. And I know I speak for everybody that is a member of the SFPUC uh, family to say that uh, Andy Moran is a rock of stability at the PUC. Whether he was an employee, the general manager, a commissioner, or the commission president, uh, everybody has relied on Andy's expertise and knowledge and history. And I don't think that there is anybody here at the uh, PUC who offers such a wealth of knowledge as um, Andy Moran. And I will just say I've had the opportunity to know uh, Andy in a couple of different ways. First, as uh, the city attorney, where we didn't always agree on items. Uh, and now in my nearly 11 months as uh, your general manager. And I, I can only say, having been in this role now, I have uh, such an appreciation for his expertise, for his knowledge, for his perspective on everything that falls under the purview of uh, this agency. And the universal respect that Andy enjoys is something that I don't think any other uh, person affiliated with the PUC uh, has. I mean, the fact that you have our former controller and former general manager getting ready up here to sit in public comment tells you all you need to know about the respect that folks have for um, Andy Moran. And I can tell you that for me, one of uh, the best parts of my nearly 11 months in this job so far has been um, our uh, telephone calls that we had either in preparation for these meetings or other meetings because I've always found Andy to be just uh, a great counselor uh, and most importantly, a gentleman. And I can think of uh, no greater compliment that, to give anybody that's involved, been involved in the crucible of public service for nearly 50 years uh, that moniker, to be a gentleman and to conduct yourselves with the utmost of professionalism. Not always easy to do, but you do it in a courteous way and, and with a tremendous amount of respect, uh, even uh, for those that you might disagree with. And I am going to miss having you as a member of this commission because I know that you're always there with the best interests of this agency um, and this commission uh, in your heart and your head. So with that, the resolution is, whereas Anson Moran has been an icon, and that's an understatement, of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission through five decades, starting as a project manager in 1980, working as assistant general manager for finance from 1983 to 1988, serving as general manager of Hetch Hetchy Water and Power from 1988 to 1993, leading the SFPUC as general manager from 1993 to 2000, and finally serving as a PUC commissioner from 2009 to 2022. And whereas Anson began his storied career with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission under then-Mayor Dianne Feinstein and continued to be a shepherd of the water system through the terms of eight different San Francisco mayors, and whereas Anson's unparalleled knowledge of urban water needs as well as agricultural water use meant he was an invaluable advocate who diligently worked to bring everyone together on important water issues. In his years at the SFPUC and as a founding member of the California Urban Water Agencies, Anson was instrumental in fostering greater co cooperation among Bay Area water agencies and elevating the SFPUC to a position of national utility leadership. And whereas Anson's outstanding contributions to the agency are too many to list, 
Among them was his work to steer the region through the worst drought on record, which lasted from 1987 through 1992, and he did so with grace and skill. It was a challenging time, and the drought was severe, but his leadership reduced its overall effect on residents, wholesale customers, and the economy. And whereas Anson used that drought experience to institutionalize a water conservation program that has continued for more than 30 years, cementing a partnership with our communities and creating our most effective drought fighting tool. And whereas Anson's decades of service to the public are exceeded only by his talent as a photographer and his tremendous love for his family. Now therefore it be it resolved that this commission hereby expresses its deepest appreciation and gratitude to Anson Moran for his significant contributions and commitment to the SFPUC and wishes him all the best in the years to come. And before, I have this resolution, but uh, before we that, um, any of the best part of this is that, um, before we hear from your fellow commissioners, is you get something else. You get a water meter, which uh, I understand is a very, very prized, uh, prized gift. And I have absolutely no doubt that you will have this uh, prominently disp displayed. And it's champion of San Francisco's water, power, and sewer systems. And uh, Bill T. and I lugged this up from CDD today, right? And, uh, but we weren't going to miss this, right, Bill? So, Andy. And we'll take pictures after as well. Okay. That is a gorgeous thing. That is good. Have you seen it? Commissioners, the floor is the floor is yours, commissioners. Okay, I go first. Um, I'm, um, I did not know Andy that much beyond his name and his reputation before I joined the commission. Um, but for sure, in the past year and a half, I have come to know him as a um, calm, thoughtful, uh, a humble person, always interested in listening and hearing your perspective, always uh, engaging. Uh, I, I think his humility always... Um, stays with me because it's easy for somebody to listen to someone else to have an opinion about this topic and that topic while you have dealt with so many ups and downs in an institution and you sort of think, oh, I've already seen this. And like, I think you're always very thoughtful and you never, I, I appreciate how interested you are in hearing um, and engaging in these conversations without necessarily having any any uh, uh, like I don't, a little bit, even even a little bit of arrogance in the fact that oh, I've been around for so long and I've seen all of it. So I appreciate that because I think that is a cornerstone of leadership. That's how uh, somebody can become a real leader over time. Because the most important thing as part of the leadership is to be a listener. And uh, so I, I'm grateful for that. But I'm also grateful for all the knowledge and expertise you brought in to this commission. I'm, I've always uh, appreciated your um, great comments on every topic or every issue that we have had, contentious or not, easy or hard, uh, uh, really um, appreciated that. And I also very much appreciated your diligence in approaching uh, different uh, issues. Um, and always being um, 
always bringing a fresh perspective as well to some of these comments and co conversations and your openness to um, engage members of the public and um, different stakeholders in some of these conversations. I know you were quite instrumental to some of those workshops that we have had and um, always trying to listen what other commissioners think, uh, engage them in the process, being inclusive. Um, I, I'm not sure if there are any, like I'm sure there are many, many, many other uh, uh, adjectives that can be used here um, to, de uh, to describe you, but I, I, I personally would truly miss having you here. I really do hope you uh, keep us uh, in mind and maybe sometimes call us and let us know what you think or what your perspective is, or um, there's nothing more valuable uh, than having a friend who, who cares and has something to share. And um, I personally, as one, I'm, uh, I'm always looking forward to hearing uh, your perspective on that. And maybe I'll call upon you sometimes to get advice. <laughs> um, again, grateful to be a fellow commissioner with you. I'm grateful that I had a chance to get to meet you and work with you and serve with you. Thank you so much for your service. Obviously, me and my family have benefited from so many things you have done in this institution for all these years. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And, um, and I look forward to um, staying in touch and uh, you know, learning from you, continue to learn from you in the years to come. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, you know, Andy gave me confidence, you know, he really did. Coming on this commission, I mean, you know, I've been in the Board of Supervisors, but a commission is different. It's a lot smaller. Um, and therefore, everything you say is, is really you know, kind of elevated. But I, and I, I didn't know how it was going to work, and certainly there were so many things that came up, but you gave me confidence that we could get through this. And not so much because you've been there before, but yes, but because of the way you approached things. You know, your approach was very, very solid. And I remember calling you up and saying, you know, <laughs> I was really amped, I guess, is what they would say these days. And you kind of calmed me down. And, and I said, I'm really going to need, and you just calmed me right down and made me feel so much better. And everything that we went through and, you know, with, with uh, having to change management and direction, you were always there. And, and I think what you've done for our city, and Anusha mentioned it, we don't even know, you know how important you have been and how your dedication and your commitment to all of us, to the whole, and not just San Francisco, 2.7 million customers and beyond that. And so I, I think we, we are definitely going to, to miss you. And I, I wish there was another way. I remember being kind of responsible for um, kind of changing the dynamic of the commission um, from seven to five. I, maybe we should do that back. <laughs> maybe somebody should say, well, maybe we need seven again. Um, but we're going to definitely miss you. And you've done so much. You've given your heart and your soul to this city and your family and your children have grown up a part of this. And so thank you so much 
and I am going to call you. I, I'm just going to let you know right now that I will call and I expect you to answer. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for everything that you've done and everything that you continue to do. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, thank you. Uh, that's all very nice. I didn't know that you needed confidence. That, oh, that yeah, was, I did. <laughs> that was a surprise to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm a good faker, <laughs> but no. <laughs> and you talk about uh, uh, family growing up in this thing. Uh, my oldest daughter went off to school shortly after the uh, uh, 87 and 93 drought. And one of the things that I had to counsel her on is that the people in New York expect that you will flush <laughs> after you go to the bathroom. She had never heard of that before. Um, so it kind of came, to, uh, came as news. And it is uh, part of the family is involved in all of this. I was thinking about all of the extensive comments that I would like to make. And it occurred to me that after 33 years, if I haven't said it, it probably doesn't need to be said. Um, so I will limit it to one thing. And that is that I have been incredibly fortunate uh, to work uh, with the PUC on the incredibly important work that we do. And over a period of 33 years, in a variety of capacities, I've been able to do that with people of integrity and intelligence and dedication. Uh, and it just doesn't get better than that. Um, and for that uh, incredible privilege, I am very thankful and uh, will continue to be. Uh, so I'll take the phone call. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no question about it. Um, and I do want to thank uh, all the, you know, there have been many people that have been, you know, part of this organization over that time. I am. I really believe that uh, while some of us are privileged to provide leadership, the work gets done by other people and that they are the really important people uh, that need to be honored. Uh, and we had a chance to do that you know, with several folks today. And we need to keep that in mind, that what we do is important. And it's important to the economy. It's important to the environment. It's important to our communities and, and the people that we serve. And that goes for not only what we do, but the way in which we do it and how we treat people. Um, so with that, I will say thank you uh, and turn it back over to the secretary. And she can open it up for public comment, which I think we should have strict time limits on. <laughs> <laughs> Madam Secretary, just so we're clear, let's do public comment and then photo, okay? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment specifically on item eight, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment? Mr. Harrington. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, and. General Manager, I agree with all of your comments, Ed Harrington. I wanted to come here today to also give my thanks to Andy for all of the work that he's done. Um, I've been following Andy for most of the last 40 years. Um, back in 1984, when he was the head of the Bureau of Finance, he hired me as an accounting manager. He moved on from there to be the head of Hetchy, and I moved into the position of accounting manager, or the 
Bureau of Finance director at the time. Um, Andy went on to be the general manager. I went on to be the general manager. And back in 2009, when we did reconstitute the commission, we said, oh, there's this seat four, and it says you have to have expertise in water systems or power systems or public utility management. And we thought, why settle for one when we can get all three? You, you Google that, and you probably come up with Andy's picture, because he has all of that. And so it was, it was great that he... Uh, agreed to be on the commission when we asked him to do it back in 2009. And he has been the only person ever in that has been in seat four. It, it, he is, it is the Andy Moran seat four for this commission. Um, and it's been ups and downs. I mean, the WESIP and the CSIP and the clean power and the Tuolumne River issues and all, so many things and so many challenges. But as you've all said, Andy's been such a stable, kind influence in all of those discussions and all that work that I couldn't let the day go by without coming and thanking you, Andy, for your service to the city and to the PUC, and we will see each other. Indeed, thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners, President Moran, general manager. Um, congratulations. I'm very happy for you. Um, I received the news um, that you are leaving the commission with some sadness in my heart. Uh, I've spent my time with you for the last 22 years in various roles that you've had. Um, we've um, worked together very well. Uh, you have always challenged me. Um, and you've always shown me, I think, all the characteristics that we've heard today. Um, you know, your leadership capability, your integrity, your thoughtfulness, um, all of these things together, your intelligence, together have made you the public servant that you are in the best sense. And I think that's an important thing for all of us to remember these days as we think about what public service really means. Um, it means, as we heard Mr. Tian talking about earlier today, you know, thinking outside of yourself, putting the community first, recognizing that the work that we do isn't for our own selves, it's for the communities that we live in. And that's what you have represented, and certainly that's what you've shown to me. Um, and I speak on behalf of the full Bosca board, the 26 water suppliers, 1.8 million residential customers, all of them have so much to thank you for that leadership and for that lifetime of public service. So thank you. Um, enjoy yourself. I can't wait to hear about your next adventures. You'll be missed. Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. On behalf of all the San Franciscans, I would like to thank you for your service. You know that uh, I've been attending these meetings for a long time. You are on a par with uh, Mr. Richard Sklar, who I enjoyed having many conversations. And I was surprised to see Ed Harrington. So, the three of y'all have served SFPUC and our constituents to the best of your ability. Mr. Hanson Varon, I have been, when I to sit on the bench before you would enter uh, this room, I would always have a word with you. 
as has been said, you are a good leader. Good leaders know the way, show the way, and go the way. God bless you and your family. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. This is Peter Dreckmeyer with the Tuolumne River Trust. I'm going to really miss Commissioner Moran. And it's really hard to imagine the SFPC without him. When you think about it, next month, the five commissioners will cumulatively have fewer years on the commission than Andy did during his tenure. And that doesn't even include his time as an employee. And Andy and I uh, haven't always agreed on policy direction, but he always made himself available for conversations. And I've always felt he was an honest person who was looking for common ground. And I'm gonna miss that. So Andy, I wish you well with your retirement. I guess you deserve it by now, but I do look forward to keeping in touch and I might call you up for advice on occasion as well. So. Thank you for your tremendous service. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item eight is closed. Photos. You know, uh, I, I just have to say this before we go, I'm sorry, but we had a real dream commission with two GMs and both of them knowing everything about it. I mean, they couldn't, nobody could pull any rugs over our eyes, right? Because these guys knew. So I want to thank them both for their service. Because coming back as a commissioner is something you don't really have to do, but you all took it seriously. So thank both of you. Thank you, Ed. And thank you, Anson, so much. Thank you. Next item, please.
Next item is item number nine, the Bay Area Water Supply and Conservation Agency update. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Sankula-Bosca, CEO again. Can I have the slide projector, please? Thank you. All right. So during your last meeting, um, there was much discussion about water use in the region and the current use reductions that are being seen by the water customers. And there was also a lot of questions about the long-term water use trends and the customer's ability to increase their overall water use reductions. So while I don't have all the answers today, I wanted to present some different data to you that may help inform our collective discussions moving forward on this topic. So this is a graph. I've actually shown it to you previously, and it provides overall total water use and population in the Bosca region. It goes back to 1975-76, which is really our oldest reliable data, and it goes out to fiscal year 2021, which is our most recent published annual survey. As the headline says, the region today uses 24% less water compared to the peak water use um, in fiscal year 1986-87, despite 32% population increase. This overall increase in efficiency really is a result of several things. Regulations, things like the plumbing code, uh, state requirements, 20 by 20, 20, those things. Local agency and customer investments in water conservation, real you know, financial dollars put to water conservation in the, regency, in the region. This level of efficiency is also the result of several extended droughts, economic downturns, and also the recent pandemic. What you'll see on this graph is that the droughts are shown with the hash lines. And you'll see that for each drought period, water demand was reduced significantly in response, and there was a slow rebound afterwards. If I had fiscal year 21, 22, and 22, 23 data, you'd also see hash lines there as well, given our current drought conditions. After I walked away from this commission last meeting, as I looked at this graph with fresh eyes, um, it cemented to me what I've heard others saying throughout the state, which is, are we, are the last 10 years really a single drought period with some intermittent wet spots in the middle? as opposed to a series of three droughts, which is how we've often been thinking about it. And if that is the case, does that change how we're dealing with it? Or does it change what more we need to do to respond to continuing drought conditions? So I've got some further data to dive into this a little bit. So that was at the gross regional level. This is average residential per capita data. Um, Relying on that same data set, it shows both gross per capita on the top line and residential per capita water use for the Bosca region on the bottom line. Again, the drought years are shown with the hash marks. Overall, since that peak use in 1986, average residential use has decreased by 37%. As a point, during the most recent drought, the average residential use actually got down to 56 gallons per capita per day. At the time, those numbers were well below what we actually thought was readily achievable. Really called us to question, you know, how low do we go? Um, and while per capita use has rebounded since that recent drought period, it's still lower than any other period. And this is something that we now all have to examine as we consider how do we reduce it further. Um, 
in addition to kind of looking at that question, Bosca has, as I've spoken to you about, initiated a new project to update demand projections, including a sensitivity analysis for our member agencies to better inform our long-term planning. I do look forward to bringing you those results. That project is on schedule, and I'll be able to provide that to you by the end of this year. So drilling down a little bit further now from the average Bosca regional per capita use to residential per capita use by the Bosca agencies individually. Again, same data sets. This is for fiscal year 12-13. Um, it provides some greater understanding of these differences among them. So these differences are really important um, in understanding the overall water use in the region because of the diversity among these agencies. This graph provides a comparison of the size of the PUC purchases, so not total demand, just the PUC purchases, and the average residential per capita water use in 12-13, essentially before this series of current droughts occurred. So that was kind of how far back I thought I should go. For each Bosca agency, there is a circle whose size is associated with their SFPC purchases, and the color of each circle is, is associated with that per capita use for that agency. So for example, on the far upper right, the city of Hayward, purchased 15.48 MGD in 12-13 with a residential water use between 48 and 65 gallons per capita per day. Compare that to Purisma Water Hills, Purisma Water District, who purchased just 1.99 MGD in that same year, but they had a residential water use of greater than 75 gallons per capita per day. It was kind of showing this increased diversity between them. As I look at this graph, I see a few things. As it mentions in the headline, the average residential water use was 71 gallons per capita per day. There were no agencies in this year that had a use less than 48 gallons per capita per day. So there's no one in that bottom category. There were nine agencies in that middle category, and there were 12 agencies that used more than 75 gallons per capita per day. And at the same time, San Francisco retail customers used 49 gallons per capita per day. So again, they weren't in that bottom category. Interestingly enough, I made we pulled those categories up before I actually looked at that number. So that was I thought was interesting. So then how does this snapshot of a year compare to our most recent data? So this is fiscal year 2021. Um, I'll note that in the email packet that I sent to Donna, there was a, a typo in the headline. So, but as a reminder, so same kind of analysis, just new data. As a reminder, the region started in fiscal year 2021 with very low water demand, right? We were coming out of kind of that drought period, but, and we had economics going on with the pandemic. And, but despite the poor runoff snowpack, the commission did not ask for any reductions at the beginning of fiscal year 2021. Instead, halfway through the year, in January, you asked for a 10% conservation effort, and then 11% starting July 2022. And what you'll see is a couple things. The overall residential per capita use has now gone down. Everything shifted, right? So the average is down to 66, so it's 7% less than the year before. There are now nine agencies in that lowest category. And that was the thing that really started to stand out to me. We really started to weight that bottom category. Oops, my apologies. And so anyway, that was the thing that stood out. So now shifting to my last set of graphs. Again, 
This diversity amongst the Basque agencies, both in size and use, trying to figure that out. This is a graph that's actually in our annual survey. This is for fiscal year 12-13. And it's showing a different way to look at it by showing residential per capita consumption compared to the cumulative percent of population served at that level or less, right? So looking at 12-13 first for this year, what we see is 31% of the population, or water customers, in the region used less than 70 gallons per person per day. And you'll see that data point on that far right side where that red dot is at. So that purple dotted line is that 70 gallons per capita per day. By comparison, if you look onto the left side of the chart, you'll see that 95% of the service area used 99 gallons per capita per day or less. So now I added on to this graphic the new data for fiscal year 2021. Again, just trying to now see with that shift of all those agencies down into that lower per capita number, what does that do? Like how much population remains at that high per capita use? So now looking at that same 70 gallons per capita per day value, we see that 90% of the water customers use less than 70 gallons per capita per day. Um, and that you can see with the new red dot on the left. So as I said, not a lot of answers per se, but I think a different way to look at it when we start talking about how do we achieve that next level of savings and what's it really gonna take, right? What's it gonna take? So you've seen this graph before. I've shown it to you before as we've been going over the last couple of years. Um, this is a different data set. This is now relying upon the monthly data that water agencies are required to submit to the state board. Um, and it shows on a calendar year basis, right? So we've got that summer hump that's in the middle. And we can see that overall in calendar year 2022, the use is well below that top line of 2013 and it's below 2021, but it's not as low as 2015, which was just as a reminder, that was when you know, the state stepped in very significantly. We had really a significant massive outreach. Um, and so, you know, July 2022 use is 14% lower than July 2019, which is great. However, we also know that summertime, historically, has been the greatest opportunity for our customers to save water, and that more savings is gonna be needed to be able to reach our overall target. Um, so this is the question that stands before us and why we're trying to dig into this and figure out what do we do if next year continues to be dry? So from my end, and this is why I wanted to share this with you, we are working with our agencies to achieve the savings and really to figure out what that next step is. Um, like you, they all have adopted urban water management plans. They have looked at this down to the granular level within their service areas. Um, they are committed to this. Their customers are responding, um, and we're showing increased savings, you know, July, and I think we'll see the same thing in August and possibly in September, but hard to know we're going to achieve that target. And the question is, what do we do more for next year if we need to do that? So we're going to continue to work with our member agencies. I'm in discussions with Mr. Ritchie on this already, um, and identifying these next steps as we should in anticipation of another dry year. So um, I wish I could say I had answers, but um, I thought I found this analysis helpful as I was looking through it on our team, and I wanted to share it with you.
That concludes my remarks. Thank you. Commissioner Ajami. Ms. Tankula, thank you so much for your presentation. Uh, definitely very informative. I, um, I have a few questions for you. So uh, I think last, last year when you presented to us, um, we had a conversation about um, trying to create a, a sort of a data set for water reuse uh, activities that's happening in a peninsula, uh, especially on a smaller scale to see if we can see uh, who's installing what and um, uh, what, what size are we talking about, how much reuse is happening. And um, obviously it's important to know that on a bigger scale, but also in on a smaller scale. And I was wondering if there is any update on that. Have you guys been able to look at that? And just, I know you know why I'm looking for that, but um, just for people to realize, obviously, that these smaller scale reuse can impact your baseline significantly, and that means that uh, some of these uh, changes can change demand permanently. Um, so just, you know, I was curious. I don't have a comprehensive set of that. As you know, that's a difficult thing sometimes to tease out, again, because it can, especially when you go between water districts and cities and where things show up and get permitted. Um, so we are engaging in an active conversation on that with our agencies, and um, let me get back to you with that. Sure. Thank you for the question. Just to let you know, people, a few people have reached out to me who live in a peninsula, and they have asked, uh, where do, if I want to install a great water system, where do I go? If I want to install this, where do I go? And I often do not know where people can go. You might have heard from people because I'm like, you should call Nicole. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, but I think uh, it's, I think there's a, I, I personally see in my own circle, there's a lot of interest in that. So I think that also feeds into some of those efforts. Absolutely. So we have updated our website. We now have a gray water page. So like our conservation page, it's a map-driven page that has general information, and then you can drill down to basically your supplier by a map mm -hmm. to find out that information. So that's on bosca.org. Um, it was through that effort that we realized that there is, I, I would say, called a mixed bag of what's being done, and it's not a lot. And so one of the tasks that we've started doing is working with um, CCAG, which is the City County Association of Governments for San Mateo County, because that seemed to be the whole, if you will. And CCAG has a proposal out there that they're seeking funding for to do a pilot um, in the county. Um, the last I heard as we were talking about was basically trying to go into a couple homes and, and test what what are the issues that they run into? And, and I know gray water use has been done elsewhere, but for us, when we're looking at the differences among our agencies, we find a well-set-up pilot is very helpful in identifying how does the program work if we're going to try to roll that out. So we're working with CCAT to try to find funding for that, um, possibly from us. I mean, it kind of came out of our budget cycle before it happened. But um, it's an active conversation, because I think that's definitely one of those areas that people think, as you talk about where's the next, <laughs> what are we going to do? Right. That's, that's one. I just had that conversation with my own husband, actually. So. Right. And you really want to take advantage of uh, you know, early adopters who are interested and would like to kind of install these systems and test the permitting process and what it takes and who are the service providers um, 
in that uh, who can who can provide such a um, transition yeah yeah it's a challenge it's a very challenging program we've had a lot of discussions with Valley Water District we've had a program for a long time and you know they will say it's hard to get people to do it even if somebody wants to do it it's just a different version of like your you know changing your lawn out there's a lot of steps and it takes a lot of commitment from a customer to want to do it I wonder, you know, if we have a few more droughts, there will be a lot more interested parties lining up. So I think droughts are sort of uh, uh, creating um, a little bit of a opportunity area for something like that and a little bit of more interest in the customers too. Yep, we call it never waste a good crisis in exactly. my office. <laughs> Might as well take advantage of it since we're dealing with it anyway. And then one other comment I have for you is I don't know um, uh, how much this conversation is happening, but and obviously the land use, uh, you know, Bosco doesn't have land use authorities, and a lot of the water utilities don't have land use authorities. But um, I wonder if there is an opportunity to think about some of these um, net zero water uh, water developments for these new development that's happening in a peninsula. A lot of uh, uh, you know. Um, Development is being seen um, for different kind of housing or commercial buildings. So, you know, that's also an opportunity area to look into as um, as some of those are popping up or getting permits. Absolutely agree. I think that is part of when you look at that comparison between 2012 and 2021, right? That's, I think, part of what's driving things down. Because we, I do know many of our agencies have those on the new development, not so much on existing, but on new mm. development coming in. Um, at least one of our agencies that has the higher use as well is actively, and it's a water district, working with the city that they serve um, to really tackle a new policy that deals with the developments that they have, right? Mm -hmm. Very large lots that, you know, even with California's restrictive landscaping requirements, you know, if you're irrigating 50% of a very large lot, it's still 50, and, and they it's can right now. It's still a lot of water. So, you know, those are active conversations throughout the service area as we look to the future of what we're gonna do. Sure, thank you. Welcome. Commissioner Maxwell. Hello, and thank you for your um, report. It was very helpful. You, you mentioned um, that maybe we are always in a drought with some wet years. And I think when you said that, I thought, oh, wow. You know, that is maybe another way to look at this, and maybe another way we can talk to people about it. Um, that maybe from now on, this is what it's going to be. And, and that would change the conversation. You also mentioned that, um, I think you, you know, we're low now, but there was a lower year. Was it 2015? Yeah, 2015, and that was when the governor, if you recall, stepped in and kind of imposed a statewide mandate for conservation and specific numbers. Right. And you also said massive outreach. And so I think, you know, the answers are sometimes there and buried um, in how we look at things. Maybe getting people to look at this differently and maybe massive outreach could also be something that we could do um, and consider. Yeah, and, and you know, we've worked with you on outreach in our region. What we know, or at least what we've seen, what we've seen so far, and 2015 is a good example, right? That was statewide outreach. I mean, you couldn't turn around right. without seeing, like Mr. Ritchie and I joke, every time we see the signs pop up in the Caltrain signs, we're like, oh, water use is gonna go down. It happens almost every time. I mean, it's you can see it. 
that is incredibly powerful. And you know, we have all continued as water utilities to urge the governor to step in as much as possible with that messaging because he really does have some of the loudest messaging possible. Shifting back to us, we, we can do that. And I think there's more that we'll have to do next winter if we are in the same situation where it is just us, there's no doubt. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Okay, any other questions from Ms. Ancola? Thank you. Thank you. And next item, please. Um, public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number nine, the Bosca update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item number nine? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number nine. Commissioners, what I want to say is that as far as I know, uh, Botswana came in to the system in 1974. And I've read the RECA Act hundreds of times. In order to pinpoint some of the issues that come from that come up from time to time. Commissioners I often say who will speak for the salmon? And today you heard a number of uh, people uh, who during public comment spoke about the Tuolumne River. We must learn to do a needs assessment. Why was the RECA Act formed? And there was a lot of hostility and a lot of agreements with the, uh, with the people, the irrigation districts. And we have to, we have, we have come now to a point that there is water for a limited amount of people. How are we going to treat Batswa? They came in in 1974. We don't mention that. Now, I know there was a group called the, uh, it, it has a U, who challenge, who went to court, the Bay Area. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry, your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Comment on item number nine. Thank you. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. A few comments. Um, Ms. Sankula mentioned a few of the reasons why we've seen this decline in per capita demand, and I think those were accurate. But I think there's a, a bigger reason, which is the price of water, and that has sent a price signal to consumers. Um, after the, the WESIP was approved, the price has tripled. And so there's a real incentive to 
use water more efficiently, take care of, uh, take advantage of rebates, et cetera. And I think it would behoove the commission to have an agenda item soon, uh, looking at the debt service for the WeSIP because we're far from paying that off, but also uh, costs and debt service for the sewer system improvement program because those are gonna trigger uh, further uh, reduction in demand. Uh, second point is <clears throat> following the 2015 urban water management plan, uh, it was very clear that demand was gonna be much lower than was in that plan. But staff always referred to the plan because it was an official document. And now we have a 2022 plan. Um, and just at your last meeting, they said, well, we've increased the, uh, the demands, the deficit by 10 MGD because we think the Bosque agencies are probably gonna purchase more water from us and less from Valley Water. Well, that wasn't in the, in the urban water management plan. So there's a double standard. If it makes the situation look more dire, you use whatever the most recent numbers are. But if the urban water management plan has more dire predictions, then you use those. So not fair. Um, last point is there was a question, what if we have another dry year? Yeah, let's think about that, okay? What if it's dry like this last year was and we end up with the same amount of water we started with? Um, we still have four years worth of water in storage. Should we freak out? Probably not. What if it's an average year and the system fills up? Remember in 2016, year five of that drought, uh, ended. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry, your time has expired. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment and item nine is closed. Okay, thank you. Uh, next item, please. Next item is item 10, report of the general manager. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, item A is a drought condition update, and Ellen Levin will be presenting. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Ellen Levin. I'm here on behalf of Steve Ritchie, who's out today. Um, and it is a privilege, Commissioner Moran, to be able to present to you on your last day. So um, Steve's loss is my gain, and I know he's disappointed he's not here today. Slides, please. Uh, okay, so focusing on reservoir storage, I think I just want to point out on this particular slide where water bank is today. So normally this time of year, water bank's nearly full and we're at less than half of capacity. This will come into play as we think about what we need to do next year if the year is dry. On the next slide, we're just looking at conditions across the state. This picture really hasn't changed throughout the year. Um, as I have routinely pointed out, the state is really focused on Shasta Reservoir and Oroville. Those represent the water available to the state and federal project, as does New Malonis, which is also associated with the federal project. And the capacity of these reservoirs and their ability to refill are really what's driving the state's decisions around what needs to happen um, with, with mandates across the state. Um, the next slide shows you just a snapshot of where the California drought monitor is, and you do see that the exceptional drought, that sort of darker purple, is um, and has been growing over the weeks. 
Now just moving on to the precipitation that we've received. So um, just to note, this was September 18th um, when we shared this presentation with you, and it was in the middle of a series of storms that we were receiving. So in September, at that point, we had six, about six-tenths of an inch. It actually increased to 1.43 inches in September. So we really did have quite a substantial September um, up at Hetchy. And then locally, um, we were at a little bit less than half of an inch in September during those rainstorms. We ended up um, a bit over at um, 0.58 inches. Those were important storms. Um, again, this uh, forecast is a little over, it's, it's behind us now. We did get an additional um, amount of rain during those two-week periods. And what the current two-week forecast is showing is this week is intended to be pretty dry, but it does look like it's supposed to get wet um, in the next reporting period in Northern California. So we'll see um, what happens there. But as a consequence of the wet weather, we actually went from an annual average of about 210 million gallons per day. We dropped down to 189 million gallons um, per day. It's not shown on this plot because it's the report that was produced after we produced these slides, but I just wanted to um, let you know that when we do see the wet weather, we see a significant response from our customers. And just to highlight um, on some of the outreach that has been going on, you, you um, did start having a conversation with Ms. Sankula about outreach and um, wanted to highlight the partnership that we are still in with the San Francisco Giants. Next week will be the last week that we do it. Um, but this partnership was new and different for us. It was a different way to reach the region and to reach our users and to remind them of our water supply situation and conservation messaging. So we had the opportunity to have um, public service announcement at 29 home games. Uh, it included TV and radio spots. So in those broadcasts, there were also water-saving messages. We had six ballpark activations, which basically mean that we were having one-on-one -on -one fan engagement. Um, there were six opportunities for us to put in pop-ups at Willie Mays Plaza, Lefty O'Doul, within the walkways of the Giants, where we could actually engage with fans. And our staff members that did it said it was uh, a lot of fun and also a great way to engage with our, our customers. Um, also ballpark signage, what you're seeing here is um, what some of that signage looks like using the digital display board, but also throughout the ballpark there is signage. And using the social media platform that the Giants have, being able to leverage the tweeting and retweeting. Um, as I said, this is ending next week, but we started the partnership July 29th, and uh, it really has been fantastic, a new way to approach outreach in our service area. So that is all for my update. I'm happy to answer any questions. Commissioners, any, any questions for Ellen? No, thank you very much. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 10A, the drought condition update, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on 10A? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any speakers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. 
thank you. Peter Druckmeyer, just had a quick question. I was wondering if we could get a report on how much water was available to the city from the September storm. Thank you for your comments. Ellen Levin, sorry, Ellen Levin, Deputy Manager for Water. Um, to respond to Peter's question, uh, no water was available to the city following those storms or within those storms. Thank you. Okay. Mr. Moderator, do you have any other callers? Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on 10A is closed. Item 10B is a retail drought response framework overview. By, uh, I thought it was going to be Ellen Levin or? Ellen Levin, Deputy Manager for Water. Fan Lau from our staff is going to present on this item. Good afternoon, President Moran and Commissioners. My name is Fan Lau and I work in our Water Resources Division. Today I'm providing an overview of our drought response framework which guides how we will allocate water among our retail water customers should we need to enact mandatory reductions. This framework st stems from our 2020 Urban Water Management Plan and Water Shortage Contingency Plan, but applies only to our retail customers. Work to implement this framework is currently underway, including significant upgrades to our billing system, as well as development of new tools for customer service to assist our customers. While we are not sure if we will need to impose mandatory retail reductions this year, it is critical to get our billing system and customers ready for mandatory reductions should this current drought worsen, as well as for future water shortages. So as I just mentioned, this framework picks up from the 2020 Water Shortage Contingency Plan, which was developed as part of our 2020 Urban Water Management Plan process. The Water Shortage Contingency Plan outlines a stepwise retail demand reduction approach, starting with voluntary reductions across all customer sectors and relying on increasing levels of urgency and conservation messaging. Next, we would continue voluntary reductions across all sectors, except we would impose, start imposing mandatory reductions on our irrigation sector. Followed, following the irrigation sector, we would impose mandatory reductions on our residential sector, and lastly, we would then impose mandatory reductions on our non-residential sector, which includes commercial, industrial, and municipal customers. So as I just stated, uh, the framework allocates the retail demand reduction among customer sectors. Firstly, with irrigation, uh, they would receive the most drastic reductions. Next, residential sector would be reduced and following residential would be the non-residential sector. We impose mandatory reductions on the non-residential sector last in order to minimize economic impacts. Should the water shortage emergency require further reductions, we would cycle back to our irrigation sector to increase reductions, followed again by residential, then non-residential. The framework also allocates demand reductions within these three customer sectors, which I'll describe next. So again, we will impose mandatory reductions on irrigation customers first. The allocation method will be the percent reduction from base year. So an example is shown here. 
this would be known as reducing 20% from last year's usage. That's just an example. Uh, this method was selected because it's applicable to seasonal outdoor use, and it was used successfully during the previous drought, the 2015-16 period. Following mandatory reductions on the irrigation sector, if more reductions are needed, we will impose mandatory reductions to the residential sector. The, app, the allocation method is a per capita method, and an example is shown here, we would allocate 40 gallons per person per day for each household. This method was selected because it equitably allocates water to each person. The number of potential appeals would depend on the severity of the shortage. For example, in the beginning of the, sh the shortage, if we're at a low level, we do not anticipate a lot of appeals, but as the severity increases, the appeals will increase as well. This method also removes the necessity of determining a per capita floor during most drought scenarios. So after imposing mandatory reductions, first on our irrigation sector, then on the residential, should more reductions be needed, we would then impose mandatory reductions on our non-residential customers. This includes commercial, industrial, institutional, slash municipal customers. The allocation method is the per cap, the, I'm sorry, the allocation method is the percent reduction from the base year. This is the same allocation method as applied to the, our irrigation sector. An example would be to reduce 10% from last year's usage. This method was selected because it can be applied to various different business types. We can also apply different percentages based on how essential a service or business is. For example, a, health and a business or service that upholds health and safety, we would not impose as many as a significant of a reduction on that sector. So in conclusion, the framework is inform informing ongoing efforts to design an efficient allocation adjustment program to identify upfront exemptions and to develop this functionality in our billing system. As a reminder, under the water shortage contingency plan, staff will come back to the commission for approval before enacting any specific voluntary or mandatory reductions tied to future water shortages, including this ongoing drought. This concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Jami. Thank you for your presentation. I have a few questions. Um, you mentioned um, for non-residential water use, um, you guys will start from you know all these different sort of parameters that you have put in place. I'm wondering if we have any, if we at SFPC have done any benchmarking to see, for example, how much a, I don't know, like a car wash uses versus the other car wash, or how much a laundry mat uses versus the other. It's trying to understand. So, what's the, what are the, who are the lower users, and also trying to understand, sort of, where everybody falls, right? So you know the baseline, and then you can sort of compare them against that. I know this is a difficult thing to do. I, mm -hmm. uh, we, at my job at Stanford, we worked with actually Irvine Ranch to try to do that for them, and it's not an easy task to undertake, but it is an important task to do, and I think if anybody can do it, is us, we have all these smart meters in place, which is super important, all this data. So if we have not done that, it would be great to do it. Um, the second thing I want to say is, um, I think um, I brought this up and I uh, uh, 
in, during our budget process and a few other times before. At some point, we need to look into decoupling our rates. We really do need to kind of look into this because if these if this trend continues and we have more droughts and people start using their water use, which we actually want to see, right? We don't want to say, oh, we are uh, financially going to have an issue if people re reduce their water use, but people do realize that no matter how much water you use, you have to pay for the infrastructure, the health and maintenance of the infrastructure we all depend on, the people who actually provide a service to you, the uh, you know, the pumps and uh, pipes that needs to be run, uh, individuals who are running models or pushed behind, sitting behind computers. Anyway, we have a lot of fixed costs that no matter what, everybody has to pay for. Beyond there, we want to make sure who uses more would end up paying more, who uses less, end up paying less. But that is the volumetric piece on top of the fixed costs. And at some point, I would like for us to actually take this on and do it. Um, I was at a meeting just recently and um, met two utilities uh, that have actually already in, uh, enabled this and have done um, implemented uh, decoupling of their rates. And they've been doing it for many years. And that is, I think, it's about time for us to also con just consider that. Um, uh, so yeah, those were my two comments. Uh, if you have any comments back, that's fine. If not, no worries. Um, I will uh, answer about the question about the benchmarking. So um, I don't know if PUC has led any of the benchmarking studies, but we definitely looked at it. Um, I don't know if Julie Ortiz is here, but uh, she might be able to say something about the benchmarking studies that we have looked into for the uh, sectors that are in San Francisco. Um, we will be looking at that more deeply when we start thinking about setting percent reductions on a, for a specific customer type. Um, we, we might end up having to hit more certain businesses more than others based on their, uh, what we've seen in the benchmarking and the, uh, how much of this um, demand piece of the pie they're taking up. So um, It also helps us yeah. to kind of potentially do more outreach to people yes. who are following Yes, uh, and that's something that. we we're always doing. Right. Yep. And one last comment, I apologize. Uh, uh, it, uh, you mentioned for the... Um, uh, commercial water user or non-residential water users, we are looking at their usage and how does it compare to last year. And I wonder if that is that is the way to go considering mm -hmm. last year was still sort of at the tail end of um, the uh, pandemic. We are still, I'm not even sure we are out of the pandemic. So it's kind of like very hard to kind of make that comparison. So I was wondering if, have, have you guys done any adjustment to that before doing this? Just was wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, thank you, that's a very good point. So um, that was an example that I showed, uh, for example, cut 40% from last year's usage. So the two key pieces are there are the percent and the base year. Those are all still up to be determined based on which specific drought situation we're in. Um, it, we will probably not use last year's as a baseline. Um, we might, I mean, the consideration is whether we use 2013, which was the baseline for the previous drought. That's kind of a far way ago. We had a lot of um, demand hardening. So we are still determining which year that will be. Maybe it will be the one right before the pandemic. It's been well after the previous drought, but before the uh, economic impacts. Um, we haven't settled on anything yet. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. The decoupling to me sounds pretty fascinating. I was wondering if maybe under new business we could have um, 
an idea, a, a sample get a, a, you know, of a, a bill that we have now, and what would it look like if it was decoupled? I mean, maybe you could ask something like that under new business. I've heard you mention it, but I, you know, I don't really, it sounds like something that would be interesting to at least look into. Yeah, I think we should definitely look into that, and I think maybe the uh, upcoming, business, yes, yeah, yeah you could absolutely. ask. Yep. Okay, thank you. And thank you. On your slide number five, um, the last bullet on that says that the method removes the necessity of determining a per capita floor. Mm -hmm. um, could you explain that? Yeah. Um, thanks for pointing out that bullet. Um, so we know there's interest from the commission on um, how that how a per capita floor would be established. For the framework, uh, we do not foresee needing to set one in the kind of early to mid stages of a drought, say up to 40 to 50% shortage, we might not have to encounter this per capita floor because we would be doing allocations, uh, per capita allocations. For example, I use the 40, uh, 40 per person per day, maybe it's a 35 gallon per person per day. That removes the necessity of having to establish the floor. However, if we were to get into a very severe drought where we're kind of coming up against health and safety standards, hygiene, minimum needs for hygiene, then we would need to revisit that to see if we can even meet that minimum standard. But we're foreseeing, at least for the framework for implementing it, we don't see that yet. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Seeing none, thank you. Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 10B, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on 10B? None, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 10B is closed. Item 10C is the capital financing plan for fiscal year 2023, and Nikolai Sklarov will be presenting. Thank you, General Manager Herrera. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Nikolai Sklarov, Capital Finance Director. Uh, since joining the PUC in May, this is my first opportunity to pre present to you, so I'm looking forward to it. This is the first of what will be many presentations about each of the individual financings we're going to be talking about today. But today's uh, presentation is to review the capital financing plan for this current fiscal year. This is really to give you a snapshot of what to expect uh, that will come forward to the commissioners uh, throughout this year. This is the seventh annual uh, report of its kind. I would note that this report comes at an extraordinary time, a time of uh, great uh, volatility in the bond markets, uh, obviously a lot of change in terms of inflation and the impact on construction. So there's, there's a lot going on, including uh, the activities that we're undertaking to uh, obtain low, lower cost financing through the federal government, through the WIFIA program, through the state government, through state revolving funds. So we will be continuing to update and revise this presentation, um, this information throughout the year. All of the numbers presented to you today will be preliminary, and again, formal presentations will be made on each financing for your approval. 
The PUC has a very large uh, outstanding debt program. We have nearly $7 billion of debt outstanding. And as you saw in the February uh, financing plan, we expect to issue uh, almost $6 billion of additional debt over that period. Uh, all of our debt activities are guided by policies adopted by this commission, and of course, all of the, rev the revenue bond expenditures are overseen by the Revenue Bond Oversight uh, Committee as well. This is a snapshot of that uh, portfolio. As you know, uh, we've had a lot of activity uh, in the water uh, area, and so our largest balances are for outstanding water bonds. That is evolving now as we shift more to wastewater projects. And again, we have $7 billion of debt. We've been extremely successful as an organization in terms of obtaining low-cost financing from the federal government and the state government and are continuing that effort. We use our commercial paper as an interim financing tool, both uh, in order to manage the uh, interests that we would otherwise have to pay on bonds if we were issuing bonds prematurely and, um, and therefore only borrowing when those, those costs are truly needed. Uh, and finally, as you can see here, we have very high uh, ratings uh, uh, based on the strengths of the organization, but also in line with our charter ma mandate to maintain strong ratings. Our capital financing team has th really three key tasks. We, of course, help to monitor the spending of each of the enterprises and then uh, manage our commercial paper program around that and then refinance that commercial paper with revenue bonds. Uh, of course, we also administer the outstanding debt. That's not only uh, paying the debt service on time, but also managing all the information and the promises that we've made to investors over time. And lastly, and significantly, we're constantly looking at ways to save money, much like many of us would look to refinance our mortgages or credit cards. We're constantly looking at opportunities to refinance this outstanding portfolio. You know, the PUC has benefited from a, a period of extraordinarily low interest rates uh, today, and that is changing. That's changing significantly this year. Um, as you can see on the chart here, uh, interest rates began to rise first in the taxable market. The tax-exempt market moved a little bit more slowly, but interest rates are rising. I think it's important to point out to uh, the commission and the public that our, most of our outstanding debt is fixed rate debt. So the, the changes in rates don't affect the interest rate that we're paying on that outstanding uh, revenue bond debt. It does affect our ability to refinance that uh, debt, of course, uh, but uh, we are continuing to monitor that. It does affect us a little more immediately on our commercial paper program. Our commercial paper is rolled every 30, 60, 90 days, and as such, it has begun to reflect that rising interest rate environment. So we have uh, engaged one of our financial advisors to help us review our overall portfolio and our strategy and how we're using all of these tools to optimize the lowest interest costs to the ratepayers. 
of which I know I'm one <laughs> as well. Um, our financial advisors have uh, helped us in terms of projecting interest rates. Um, even as we've uh, uh, delivered this uh, package to the commission, as you know, the Fed just raised interest rates uh, three quarters of, an, uh, of a percent. Uh, but the, that increase was already anticipated, as you see on the chart, and further increases are expected over the uh, rest of this calendar year and into next year. The good news is that most of the market anticipates that rates will begin to come back down later uh, next year. Obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world uh, around not only inflation, but also global events like the war in Ukraine. So that brings us to our plan. And again, we're not asking for action today. This is just to give you a snapshot of what's to come. Uh, first, we have a very large WIFIA uh, uh, invitation from the uh, US EPA. Uh, uh, General Manager Herrera will lead a delegation to meet with them uh, later this month um, as we uh, engage with them on the negotiations for that, and we will then bring back that agreement uh, early next year. We have uh, several SRFs that are SRF loans that uh, applications that are pending before uh, the state, and we are also going to be amending one of those. But of particular uh, significance, we have been, as a team, evaluating the spending already to date for this fiscal year uh, from each of our enterprises. As you know, the financing plan that was presented to you in February uh, called for significant debt over each of the 10 years, but specifically for this year, called for each of the three enterprises to be doing debt financing. And we have now, based on the spending to date, uh, been able to project forward exactly when that financing uh, will be needed to refinance capacity in our commercial paper programs. So we expect that in the third quarter of this fiscal year, so early in 2023, we'd be coming back to you for first the wastewater bonds, then the water bonds, and it now appears that the need to actually issue uh, power bonds uh, maybe be maybe pushed into the next uh, fiscal year. We will continue to monitor that, and then again, as I say, we are continuing to work on lower cost alternatives as well. Lastly, I'll mention that we have two credit facilities that we'll need to renew before the end of this uh, fiscal year. Lastly, uh, we will. Uh, continue, even though rates have gone up, to look at whether there are opportunities to refinance. Um, and remember that the passage of time also creates refinancing opportunities, notwithstanding what happens with interest rates. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you, and thank you for your report. And welcome again. Thank um, you. So what would Who's our financial advisors? Where do they come from? Who are they? Um, so before I join, the uh, uh, PUC engaged five financial advisor advisory firms um, that we have under contract, and then we mm -hmm. uh, uh, tasked them with specific 
transactions. And so who are these people? I mean, what would a profile of a financial advisor team look like? Who do they work for? Who else, what else do they do? So each of them are deeply experienced. They um, uh, come out of the pool that is uh, uh, organized through the Controller's Office of Public Finance. Mm -hmm. uh, and they are names that are uh, probably uh, very familiar uh, to you. Uh, each of them is regulated. Uh, municipal advisors is a new category of financial advisor, and they do uh, need to be registered uh, with the MSRB for that. Okay. But if, if, if you'd like to find like, names of the firms. Yeah, it, like uh, one name. Just give me, or Bax two. Baxter McCarley would be uh, first on the list. I'm trying to think of them in alphabetical mm -hmm. order, but uh, I'm okay. not sure I will. Montague, uh, DeRose. Uh, uh, PFM, uh, financial advisors, uh, Fieldman, uh, roll up. Uh, and these people are probably what municipalities use or big um, cities or? Yes, e each of them are uh, experienced with uh, agencies throughout the um, state, but uh, uh, many of them are working with other parts of the city and uh, mm -hmm. The financial advisors that we've been using the most have deep experience with the PUC as well. I see. All right. Thank you. Certainly. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Ajami. Uh, thank you for your presentation. I have a question for you. Do you think um, the change we see in the market uh, or the uh, change in interest rate are going to impact the financing of our projects? And how would that impact us? Uh, Commissioner, thank you for the question. Uh, a couple of key points. Uh, first, clearly the new interest rate environment will mean that rates are going to be higher than the rates that we've gotten used to in the past. Um, fortunately, the tax-exempt market, which is the market we access most, is um, uh, heavily dependent on supply and demand. And rates have moved more slowly in the tax-exempt market than in the taxable market. Um, so, uh, for example, um, a 75 basis point increase in rates or three-quarters of a uh, percent increase in rates uh, generally does not always translate into a three-quarter of a percent increase in our commercial paper, which is based on supply and demand. But clearly, uh, interest costs are going to be higher on the new obligations we undertake in the future, um, depending on whether rates continue to go up or whether they go up and then come back down again. Are we looking at multiple scenarios of how that thing's going to change, or are we sort of having a prediction and sort of going with that? Because I assume there are so many different things that can happen. For example, the war in Ukraine wasn't on anybody's radar, you know, uh, a year ago. Now it's impacting a lot of people, obviously. Nobody knew a pandemic is going to happen. So I'm wondering if are we looking at the various scenarios or is it more um, sort of a I, deterministic I, approach? I think we are looking at um, strategies to first optimize the lowest cost financing uh, sources. Uh, we are looking at different scenarios. I would I would uh, hasten to add 
that there's been a lot of um, volatility in the marketplace. So even among the experts, the expectations of interest rates have been changing throughout this year. Um, and we've been monitoring those closely with our financial advisors. And again, we have specifically engaged one of those firms to help us with a uh, overall strategy for our portfolio. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you. Uh, public comment, please. Thank you. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 10C, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on 10C is closed. That concludes my report. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Next item, please. Next item is item 11, new commission business. Commissioners, any uh, new business? Commissioner Ajami? Uh, maybe I'll ask uh, Mr. Herrera to work with, the, with our finance team or whoever is involved in the process to kind of look into how, if we want to do rate decoupling, how would we do it? I know we are doing it for uh, the, um, our energy enterprise, or at least I believe we are doing it for, that, for our energy enterprise. So it might not be as difficult, but I think it would be a good idea to look into that. Thank, Thank you. you, Commissioner. One, one other thing um, I would say is um, right now, conventionally, the way we charge people for uh, wastewater, it's correlated to amount of water that they use. Uh, I believe that's how we're doing it uh, here as well. But um, just, I'm constantly worried as people use less water. And as we, people go off the grid or partially off the grid with you know, on-site reuse systems, how is that impacting our wastewater uh, infrastructure and the, our capacity to operate and maintain it? So we should at some point have a discussion on how we are, <coughs> what's the long-term strategy making sure we can operate and maintain our wastewater um, uh, infrastructure and services um, on a good uh, financial health. Thank you. Any other new business? Seeing none, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 11, new commission business, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to make comment on item 11? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 11 is closed. Thank you. Next item, please. Item 12 is your consent calendar. Commissioner Maxwell? Item, is that appropriate now? Oh, okay. On the, well, on the consent calendar, uh, Commissioner Maxwell? Yes, I, I'm... I have a question about delays, and I guess the only way I can ask it is to um, pull item C. Okay. Item C will be removed. Yes, Commissioner Ajami. 
I don't think I need to pull item A, but I just have a question. I'm not sure. We, we don't need to pull okay. to ask questions, right? We, we don't. That's actually, no, we don't. <laughs> we have uh, what our practice has been, and this is especially with the uh, telephone call ins, is that if somebody wants to make a comment, uh, that they can do that, and that does not take an item off calendar. Uh, if it needs discussion, then it does need to be pulled off calendar. So if you have a comment, yeah, so go ahead. If you have a question, then we should remove it from calendar. Yeah, I, I have a comment, actually. Okay, then I, um, go ahead. Should I go ahead? Yeah. Okay. So um, on item uh, 12A, um, there is a, a modification number four. Um, there is this segment, section that says, we have to um, change what we're doing just because um, the design modification that required customized shoring in um, some area due to not knowing, sorry, I'm trying to read <laughs> what I've highlighted at the same time. Um, okay, so we didn't identify some of the underground utilities during design along discovery of those we have to do some modification. And I think this goes back to another item we had a number of months ago not having the right maps, not knowing where utilities are, so we had to sort of redesign and ended up becoming an issue. And I'm, again, bringing this up that we really need to think about how we need to, like what kind of maps do we have? Who has the map for underground utilities? Can we digitize these things so whoever does the design has access to them so we don't end up investing a lot of resources to get to this point and then needing to go back and revisit the design because, oops, we found a utility line somewhere. So this, I'm, I know this is a huge undertaking. At some point, we have to do it as a city. It's beneficial to us as a utility. I think it's beneficial to the public. It's beneficial to the city. Um, so um, I'm just highlighting this again because it came up one more time in one of our items. So that's a, com that's a comment okay. I had. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Maxwell. Well, thank you. Um, our attorney Bergman answered some of my my questions on item C, but I guess um, that she she mentioned I was wondering about delays in a contract. But she said that some of the delays it all depends on why the delays. Sometimes it's on um, the contractor, or sometimes it's on us. But in this particular COVID, um, I wonder if there's a monetary uh, monetary uh, um, cost to this and if it's shared um, and, and, and who shares it because we have so often um, we're seeing delays and then there's a, a monetary cost to it on our part I guess we have to pay more so that was my question just how is the formula um, and with COVID is that a shared delay uh, cost and material, and I guess some of the ships are in the ocean, I don't know, and, and they're waiting to come. I mean, that's how my, my mind sees it, that they're not offloaded. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Howard Fung, uh, Acting Wastewater Capital um, Programs Director and 
manager of project management bureau. Um, Steve Robinson is out today, so I'm covering for him. Uh, in terms of the question regarding who pays for COVID um, impacts, a lot of times we are cost sharing on some of the health and safety costs for COVID delays or COVID um, uh, preparations. But in terms of schedules, I don't believe we have been um, paying for delays related to COVID. So, you know, I, I, that, that's what I understand, Lise. Okay, and then um, this one was, it says COVID and then also material delays, deliveries. Correct. So we're, uh, it would be a non-compensable time extension that we would be granting if it's a delay related to COVID for um, material delays or the like. Um, in this particular case, I think uh, there have been um, quite a bit of um, supply chain issues with COVID, and sometimes it's been hard trying to get contractors back uh, to come back and complete some work in terms of doing um, you know, startup commissioning or as we're getting pre prepared for that, and also doing, uh, come back to do training and sequencing that time with them to come in uh, based on staff availability as well. So there's a bit of coordination there on both parts. All right, thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Then on the consent, well, first of all, do you need C pulled anymore? No, you do not. Um, so for the consent calendar, items A, B, and C, uh, public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of public comment on item 12, the consent calendar, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on consent calendar? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 12 is closed. Okay. Uh, may I have a motion and a second, please? Move um, to approve. What? Move to approve. I'll second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. You have three ayes. And the consent calendar is adopted. Next item, please. Next item is item number 13. Amend section F, water efficient irrigation of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's rules and regulations governing water governing water service to customers to require the use of organic mulch to meet organic waste reduction requirements in the regulations implementing Senate Bill 1383. Ms. Ortiz. Good afternoon, Commissioners, General Manager, Julie Ortiz with the Water Resources Division. And this is a small procedural update, but I want to provide some quick background. Um, the water efficient irrigation rules and regulations uh, are detailed guidelines that the SFPUC uh, oversees, and this is per state directive, and it is overseeing requirements for water efficiency for new landscapes over a certain size and modified landscapes over a certain size. Um, again, this is a small update, and it's really to update the definition of existing requirements uh, for the use of mulch to specify a preference for use of organic mulch. And the reason for this update is to ensure that the city is in full compliance with aspects of SB 1383 that implement a state pollutant reduction law. Most of the SB 1383 is covered under the city's environment and health code. 
and administered by the Department of the Environment and the Department of Public Health, but this one small piece falls under uh, SFPUC jurisdiction. So that's what we're here today to amend. Um, I do want to note that the State uh, Department of Water Resources is looking at more substantial changes to the state's model water efficient uh, landscaping ordinance, and at that time we would be coming back to you to make more substantive changes to our water efficient irrigation rules and regulations. So, um, any questions? I'm glad to see it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, seeing no questions, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 13, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item 13? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Thank you. Public comment on item 13 is closed. Thank you. Uh, I have a motion and a second, please. I'll move. Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Wren? Aye. Vice President Jummy? Aye. Mr. Maxwell? Aye. You have three ayes. And item 13 passes. Next item, please. Um, I'd like to reannounce that item 14 has been removed from the agenda and will be rescheduled. Next item is item 15, authorize a general manager to execute a memorandum of agreement with Silicon Valley Wa Clean Water, Bayer Water Supply and Conservation Agency, California Water Services Company, Mid-Peninsula Water District, City of Redwood City and City of San Mateo for the preparation of a, basic, a basis of design report for the potential San Francisco Peninsula Regional Pure Water Project with a duration of 27 months terminating December 31, 2024 for an amount not to exceed 515000 Good afternoon, Commissioners, General Manager Herrera. Um, Manisha Gotari, Manager of the Alternative Water Supply Program. I don't have a presentation, but just wanted to say uh, I'm here to represent this project. This is uh, one of the alternative water supply projects. Approval of this action will allow us to support continued planning for a potable reuse project on the San Francisco Peninsula. It's a purified water project. Thank you. Any questions for Ms. Zhang? Thank you so much for this. I, um, I think you and I have had this conversation before, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, but I, obviously we are implementing all these on-site reuse systems. Uh, still, they're not making a huge dent in our water use, but eventually they can uh, sort of bring down the baseline in different ways. And uh, I'm wondering, and I know you are trying to kind of have this role as a, you know, providing some leadership uh, around thinking around these systems and how they are implemented in different scales. I'm just wondering how much, how much progress you're making on that and um, can we actually use this as an opportunity to help this study to incorporate, for example, a scenario with, in, that, in that we will consider I don't know, this many percent of residents or um, uh, commercial buildings or non-residential water users would have an on-site reuse or a small-scale reuse system. How, do, how would that change the size of our plant versus if nobody else is doing it? Just, I think it would be valuable for us to see a range rather than just one single number. 
Yeah. So um, this, this study really supports uh, the development of potable reuse, uh, purified water. Certainly as we think about alternative water supplies, we can't divorce it completely from thinking around um, making sure that we're, we're being very efficient and, and conscious of the water that we do need from the regional water system. So those two are, things are very closely tied together. The, um, so I think what, what we do is we continue to look at what's happening on the demand front. Um, what, what is happening on things like on-site water recycling, uh, other measures that we can use to, to reduce the demand specifically for potable water from the regional water system. And so that's, I think, very much part and parcel of everything that we're thinking about with the Alternative Water Supply Program. Um, However, when we look out into to 2045, many of these projects do take 15, 20, and even more uh, years to build, particularly when it comes to something like potable reuse, which is relatively new um, in California and around the world. So, so I think it's something that has to be an iterative process. It has to be something that we're constantly revisiting where we are with demands um, and what else we can do to reduce that. At the same time, kind of hand in hand, looking at what are opportunities to sustainably uh, deliver and, and uh, have a diverse set of supply options for the future. And then this, this study would, I think at some point will come back and tell us, you know, this is, this is how the design goes, this is what we think we need, all that, right? So again, I, I guess maybe the request, would, and I'm not, I don't know what, how does this fully looks like, but I wonder if we can encourage them to, and I know, the focus here is to look at purified water, water and then trying to put it in the reservoirs and then be able to use it as part of a water supply for the system, uh, for, the, for our entire system. But I'm wondering, like, imagine you and I are transported to 2045 and we look back and say, oh, maybe we really did not need this size. Or, no. you know, so I'm, so I'm wondering if there is a way and encourage them to actually do a little bit more of a scenario analysis rather than just one single design, one single idea, yeah. um, especially considering all the people who are involved in this, maybe that would just challenge them to think a little bit broader. Yes, so to answer your question, we are looking at a number of scenarios. This project specifically would provide a range between five million gallons per day and 12 million gallons per day. We're also, in, in addition to capacity size, we're also looking at different operational scenarios sure. because we have different needs in what we call wet and normal years versus dry years. And as that changes, as we think about it differently over time, we really need to be thinking both about the capacity and the operations. We're looking at that. This is the fourth installment of our planning for this particular project. So really also trying to think very incrementally. We want to have a no regrets approach as we move forward with planning and making sure we're right-sizing these projects. So we, 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 we don't look at demand or supply needs once and done. We have to keep looking at them. So we are doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? Seeing none, public comment, please. Thank you. Members of the public wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 15. Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to speak to item 15? Seeing then, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. 
afternoon, Commissioners. Nicole Sankula, the CEO. I wish to speak in support of this item before you today. I'm pleased, um, incredibly pleased, uh, that the staff brought, you, brought this forward to you. This is an excellent project, and I appreciate their efforts. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment and item 15 is closed. Thank you. Any further discussion? Seeing none, can I have a motion and a second? Move to approve. I'll second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. And you have three ayes. And item 15 passes. Next item, please. Next item is public comment. Public comment on the matter to be heard during closed session, which is item number 18. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 18 to be heard during closed session, which is conference with legal counsel regarding existing litigation, Victor Jimenez versus City and County of San Francisco et al. San Francisco Superior Court number CGC-21-593613, proposed settlement of a personal injury claim in the amount of $100,000. Action to approve a settlement subject to final approval by the Board of Supervisors. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment? See none, Mr. Moderator. Do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you. Public comment on closed session is closed. Thank you. And could we have a motion on whether to assert attorney-client privilege? Move to assert. Second. Moved and seconded to assert. Roll call. President Wren? Aye. Vice President Ajami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. You have three ayes. And the item passes. We will now go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Uh, during closed session, the Commission voted to recommend to the Board of Supervisors settlement of uh, the, the item 18. Uh, Commissioner, can I have a motion on uh, whether to disclose discussions that took place during closed session? Move to not to disclose. Moved and seconded. Roll call, please. President Marin? Aye. Vice President Jami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? You have three ayes. 
and the item passes. Uh, no other business before the commission. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you.